Hello, and welcome back to the What The Fork podcast in association with Viper Goalkeeping. Hello, and welcome back to the What The Fork podcast. Today's guest is a well-celebrated former left-back that racked up over 400 appearances for the likes of Rotherham United, Bristol City, and of course, Sunland Association Football Club. Welcome to the show, Martin Scott. How are you doing, Martin? Are you all right? How are you, Graham? Very well, yes. Keeping well in these uh, difficult times. I'm enjoying the beer myself. I thought you might have <laughs> <me> like but <laughs> I've just had one myself, to be honest with you, downstairs for tea anyway, so uh, I'll just sit I'll here you and, and enjoy watching you drink. I'll let you off. I tried something new. I went for the, the Brewdog Clockwork Tangerine. I don't get paid for this, by the way. Um, but I went for the Brewdog Clockwork Tangerine. It's not bad. I'm not really a big IPA fan, but it's all right. Yeah, yeah. I, I quite like an IPA, to be honest with you. Different flavours and different things. That looks yeah. like a... Uh, that's a mixture between barbican or that one, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's got it's got <laughs> a nice starting taste. Poor, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, of course. I'm a de- For living in Scotland, it didn't put my percentage up of what I can drink all that much. I'm still a, right. a 4.5 right. man, put it that way, mate. No um, difficult times, as we know. Um, but obviously, I think many people know you had time at Hartlepool, obviously, uh, yeah. Middlesbrough, Barnsley, South Shields. But what are you up to currently, for the people who don't know? I, like I said, I've been always involved in football. Uh, and it was while I was at... Middlesbrough, I was obviously under-18s uh, coach and then I, I got promoted to the reserve team manager when Gareth Southgate was the, uh, was the manager. So, obviously, worked with some fantastic people, fantastic coaches and it's a great club, Middlesbrough, for developing young players. Uh, I just felt I uh, the way football is and was, uh, I always wanted to do something away from professional game uh, and I was really interested in coaching the sort of gifted and talented young talent that's in the northeast. Uh, so I set up a coaching business called Impro Tech Soccer, which it sort of means in, improve the technique uh, soccer. Uh, a lot of people have questioned why, I've, why, why I sort of mentioned soccer, not football. But uh, I, just, I just felt at that moment in time, I'd say about 12 years ago now when I set it up, uh, get elite coaching to as many young players in the northeast as I possibly can, uh, and the business has grown massively. Uh, I was coaching individuals to start with, uh, but getting really frustrated because the, the, the limited time I got with the players, uh, I had to wait either for the weekend or the, at night time because uh, they're either at school or they were training themselves at grassroots or or the professional clubs. So I was only getting limited time with these with these players. So I I got an idea. Like I said, uh, must be what nine, ten years ago now. When when I did this idea, I sort of took an elite coaching program into a into a state school uh, in Sunland. Uh, so it created a more time, more coaching time uh, for the players. So the players had to go to that school to get educated uh, and obviously get uh, elite coaching from myself and my my business and my coaches. And it's it's snowballed from there. To be honest with you, there's there a lot of a lot of uh, real raw talent in the northeast, uh, talent that sort of were getting overlooked by the professional clubs, uh, and I sort of coached them up to ten to twelve hours a week, which was a lot more than the professional clubs were coaching their players. And we started to see the rewards, and and players were getting signed. And from fourteen players I took on the first year, uh. Eight of them got scholarships, professional contracts, which was a massive, uh, a massive sort of plus for us. Uh, and people start to recognise the great work we did, uh, mixed with the education as well. Because you, you were getting more focused, more focused students. The cohorts were really focused in going to school and knowing that they're going to get coached every day. Uh, they didn't have to go out every night and chase up the coaching sessions at grassroots level. They, they did it all in one day. It was literally a Dropped them off in the morning. They got educated. They got coached, and then obviously the parents picked them up after school, and and this sort of it grew. So from taking fourteen on that first year, we took on twenty the following year, and within five years we had nearly hundred play, uh, players within that one school. Uh, it was a win-win for everyone concerned. The players obviously developed, 
football-wise and ed- education-wise. Uh, so the parents were really pleased with the education side. The school were delighted that they were getting more focused and disciplined students in the school. Obviously, from a financial point of view, the school benefited as well. So it was a it was a win-win-win right across the board. And since then, we've we've got nine academies now. Uh, it's grown naturally because obviously the girls' football, which was developed uh, immensely over the last five years, uh, so we've we've sort of grown now. We've got three girls' academies as well as boys' academies, uh, and, we, and we obviously we, we coach at different age groups now. So it's a it's really encouraging and really enjoyable. Uh, I came out of the pro game, and and obviously spent a lot of time setting that business up, uh, but I'm at a stage now where. I've got some fantastic coaches, ex-players, who can pass that knowledge on. And I'm sort of working on the business rather than coaching every day at this moment in time. Yeah. I think talking about um, coaching young players and stuff like that, I could be wrong with this and I haven't researched it, but I'm pretty certain I remember. I'm sure you give one of the lads that went to my school his first team debut. I'm sure it was at Hartlepool, Stephen Turnbull. Oh, yeah. Well, Stephen Anthony. Yeah, and Phil. I've been speaking to him last, last, last week or so. Uh, Philly's... Philly's at South Shields. Yeah. And Steve is uh, at uh, Morpeth. Uh, Has you gone to Morpeth now? Yeah. Last I heard he was at uh, well, I, when I was, Australia yeah, when, or Yeah, that's right. I was I was youth team coach at Hartlepool and then I became obviously reserve team. And and that's when the sort of... I went to watch a game, actually. It was under under 15 game. And I saw these two players, two twins at Middle Park, just kicking lumps out of everybody on the pitch. But not only that, they could play football. And, yeah. and, and and they really stuck to each uh, obviously backed each other up. Uh, any trouble on the pitch, they dealt with it. And I thought I like these two. These two, these two will, 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 will do well. So I I invited them down to Hartlepool. I signed them as obviously scholars. And uh, to be honest with you, I'd gone. Uh, me getting the psych back then actually stopped a lot of young players like the Turnbull twins actually developing. Yeah. Uh, quicker. Uh, and get maybe getting more more sort of games at Hartlepool and, and first team level. Uh, Danny Danny Wilson got the job after me, and and, and Danny went for more experience. Uh, where I I had to sort of go for the younger players because of the size of the budget and stuff. The the, the club yeah. changed when I left, but no, the the, the twinnies were fantastic for me, and, and uh, from a youth team and a reserve team point of view, and they're, and they're really really good lads, really honest lads, and they actually. They've actually got the same, uh, both of them were born on the 7th of January, same day as my birthday. So it was, uh, we've got like a little connection every year. We always send each other birthday wishes anyway. So uh, that's interesting. I always, I hope they're watching just to say I always preferred Phil, never really liked Stephen. <laughs> but <laughs> nah, both good lads, truth be told. I good, Phil, like I say, it's good Phil to see them both favorite. playing, to be honest. We're both playing at a good level. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so obviously, Philly's at South Shields, and, and, and South Shields are doing fantastically well. More prefer are doing well. Both two non-league clubs that are obviously aspiring to get into the football league. It's just nice to see good kids still in the game, still developing. Uh, and obviously, I, 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 I bump into them every so often. Talking about sort of your development, we talked a bit off air before, going mm. sort of right back, I suppose, here. A um, few things popped up about your own development that sort of surprised me. But before we get to that, you were born, obviously, in Sheffield, 1968, That's if Wikipedia right, yes, is correct. Yes. Actually, not bad, not bad, yes. Yeah, research is easy when you've got Wikipedia <laughs> these days. Um, but what are your sort of earliest memories of sort of football, loving football, playing football, the first players you watched, all that kind of stuff? Mm. But it's 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 obviously since since lockdown, obviously they've been putting quite a lot of uh, sort of past games on an FA Cup finals and recent one off it was on Saturday was the uh, Coventry against Tottenham. Uh, Coventry I watched that. The, yeah, Coventry won yeah. the FA Cup, and that that was a, a fantastic uh, memory for me because at that at that time for some reason I supported Coventry, and and I was the uh, it was Tom actually. I started to watch match a day, and obviously football's on every second now. On, on every yeah. second, every every channel. But back then, when obviously when I was growing up, it literally was Saturday night, match of the day, and that was it. And then obviously gradually over the over the years, as I, as I grew up, you start to get the odd game and and, and highlights on a Sunday afternoon local. Uh, and it started to bring football into into the house. But like I said, originally, my lasting memories was to try and stay up on a Saturday night to watch match of the day at half past ten, and I failed every Saturday. And I was a young lad, desperate to watch it. You couldn't record it. 
you couldn't watch it the next morning like you can now. So yeah. I used to stay up and stay up and stay up, desperate to, to, to watch football because I was desperate to be a footballer. Mum and dad obviously had been out to the local pub and uh, always used to come back and obviously I'd, I'd have supper, but I was asleep on the settee by, by this time. And I, I never got a chance to watch match of the day and obviously gradually... I eventually got older and obviously stayed up longer. But uh, no, lasting memories, for some reason, like I say, I supported Coventry. Mum and Dad bought me the chocolate brown kit for Christmas, which was like, exactly. Yeah, I I look like a... I used to wear it around the estate in Sheffield, obviously. I I just looked like a a walking dog turd walking around. (laughs) And it was... Looking back now, it was pathetic, the kit. A chocolate brown kit. And I can remember... Was it... Ian Wallace used to wear it, bright ginger hair, chocolate brown kit. So it's just just two colours that just do not go. No, <laughs> and that's, no. That's the lasting memory. And obviously, Tommy Hutchinson was left-footed. I was left-footed. Uh, he was a really good player for Coventry at that time. Uh, so I've got an affinity to Coventry. And obviously, when he got to the cup final, uh, was that 85, was it that? Roughly, like 85, 87, anyway. So just I, before I, I was born. It's 84, 85, I think. I think it was 85, if my... Yeah, yeah. As a young boy, I I played locally, I played for the grassroots teams and and obviously things have changed massively from the academy point of view. Uh, There wasn't obviously as much much, uh, the setups and facilities what you've got now, Uh, but still well-organised local grassroots teams. I played for a local team called Illsborough Celtic, which was was sort of linked with sort of Chef Wednesday, Chef United and Rotherham. So I, I was getting sort of scouted but the usual thing I was really small uh, got the ability I, I, I could run all day but the same the same old story is not big enough and I got that right through my career right through my career up until even up until sort of 16 when I eventually I signed schoolboy forms for Rotherham uh, at 14 and that allowed you when you signed a blue form uh, they called it back then to go into the club on, a, on school holidays so every every holiday I was off school, I used to go into Rotherham to sort of train on a full time basis for a week or or a fortnight. And Emily Hughes was the manager then. Uh, so Emily Hughes was obviously a massive, massive name back then. Question of sport. Yeah, huge. Uh, Rotherham was a, a really good little club. There's some really good players who were obviously in the Division Two then, which was obviously like the Championship now, playing Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United, full houses every week, and we used to get this sort of season ticket where we could watch every game and I used to watch every game uh, and just aspire to be on the pitch realistically and that was I was a sort of age 14 and got to sort of 15, 16 started playing more for the youth team uh, and Rotherham sort of took an hit then uh, Emily News left uh, George Kerr got the job uh, as, as manager uh, I was sort of an apprentice sort of Got offered a YTS then, which was obviously like like, like the government twenty five pound a week uh, yeah. offer. And uh, how things have changed there? Eh? Exactly. Yes, like, well, five, <laughs> lads, five lads got offered the YTS at thirty two pound fifty a week. They got an extra seven seven pound fifty, uh, sort of a board for the mum, mums and dads. And I got offered a YTS and I turned it down because I felt I was good enough to get an apprenticeship. So I went on trial. Actually, I turned it down and wrote to every. Every football league club, 92, I wrote a letter uh, to everyone. And I got about a dozen bike and one was Birmingham. So one Sunday, I drove down to Birmingham, Birmingham with my dad and had a, had a trial. And uh, I was the smallest on the day. It was an AstroTurf pitch back then, middle 80s, which was never uh, never been known, AstroTurf. It was that old-style sand AstroTurf. Uh, I was the smallest on the pitch. They were all six foot four. And I thought, my God. This is going to be a real wake-up call. And I, w- I played outstanding. I was midfielder then. Uh, and Birmingham offered me a YTS. And I thought, well, I've already been given a YTS. I need some. I need an apprenticeship. Yeah. And they said, oh, we can't. We've already given all of the apprenticeships out. So I turned it turned it down. And I thought, right, I may as well stay local and stay at home rather than sort of being digs in Birmingham. And it was probably the best decision I did because Rotherham was a really good club. It was a friendly club. It had no money. Uh, so the, the, the it was a small squad for the first team, uh, and it had to look at a youth setup, and and I was doing quite well in the youth team at sixteen. Uh, I was 
there was only two players in the in in the club had left foot, and that was a lad called Phil Crosby, who was a first team uh, left back, and I was the other one. But I was a midfield player back then, like I said earlier. And uh, Phil, unlucky for him, he broke his leg one game, and I got pushed up into the first team as as the left back. And and at sixteen, I was in the I was in the team. Uh, so it just by someone's misfortune, I got the opportunity and. George Kerr give me give me the opportunity. Uh, he then got the he then got the sack, uh, and then Norman Hunter came in, and then uh, it was a frustrating year that year because Norman seemed to go for the more experienced players. I was in and around the first team, but never really got mm-hmm. a real decent run in the team. Uh, so it was a frustrating year for me, and then it weren't until uh, Norman Hunter left that I got another opportunity. To obviously step up into the first team, which I started playing a lot, a regular basis, really at left back. Was that with uh, um, was it Johnny Lunsden? It was uh, no, no. Jimmy Lunsden was manager of uh, 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 Bristol City, but it was Billy McKeon right. was the, uh, Billy McKeon was the manager. Uh, That's right. But it was round about this time I actually went on loan at Notts Forest. Brian Clough came in for me uh, and actually signed me the same day, exactly the same day he signed uh, Gary Parker. Nigel Jemson and myself. Uh, mine was sort of rushed through, so mine was only alone, and they them two signed permanent. So I spent a full, I spent four weeks uh, at Notts Forest, obviously in and around the first team, and that's when Forest was a fantastic, fantastic yeah. team. You Stuart Pierce and right through the team, they they had international players and Neil Webb and obviously Nigel Clough. Uh, but what a what an eye-opener. It was like I was a young kid and desperate to do well. Absolutely so desperate to do well and do everything right and correctly. And uh, and that's the way I've sort of done doing things right through my career. I brought, I've been brought up the right way and fully committed. Uh, never took any short, short coats or anything. And I went to, obviously, Notts Forest and Brian Clough just... It was such a character. And, and, and you had these... Experienced international players in fear, yeah, in training, and and some of the, but his, his man management, uh, Brian Clough's man management was fantastic. Every player had run through a brick wall for him, but his training methods were like so strange. It was literally just, for instance, I think there was about twenty two in the squad one day, and I was walking down the Trent, and we got into the training ground, and Archie Gemmell and Liam O'Kane had set up set up all the equipment to do a do a session and. Brian Clough walked in with his dog and his squash racket and literally just went, right, get a bib. So all, I could see the players all grabbing bibs and this was my first day. So I've, I've sort of stood back a bit and as a young boy, as you do, and you could see Stuart Pearce all grabbing a bib and there was four of us. There was 18 bibs on the floor. There was 22 training. There was four, four with no bibs. And he went, right, you four, now fuck off. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Fuck off his training. And he was like red, red raw, his face. And he was so mad. And Liam O'Kane sort of got a bib out the bag and went to pass it to me. And he grabbed the bib and just threw it on the floor. And he went, now Rotherham, Fuck off. And he called me, <laughs> Rov- he called me Rotherham. He called me by the first name. He called me Rotherham for a full month. Obviously, because I, I, I came from Rotherham, uh football yeah. club. So, and I thought, what have I done wrong here? So I'm walking back. I'm sat in the dressing room. All the, an hour later, all the first team came back, and I'm thinking, I know what's going to come tomorrow. I half read what he, he was doing. So next day, same squad, 22. Right, get a bib, and I just grabbed the bib straight away, put this yellow bib on, and there was four of us without a bib. Same treatment. Now you four, if you don't want to play for me, you don't want to grab a bib. Now fuck off. And that's that's how he how he his mentality of. You've got to show the right mentality and focus. And do you want to train? Do you want to play? Uh, and it was massive on on them sort of thing. So it learned me a lot as a young player to be in that environment. Uh, and like I say, I only had it for four weeks because during that time, the manager got sacked. Billy McEwen got the got the job and brought me straight back to, for the first team at Rotherham because at that time, Rotherham were actually struggling in, yeah. in the Division Two, I think it was, or Division One. And 
a, the sort of young, gifted player was sent out on loan and should really have been back at Rotherham playing for the first team. So anyway, I got brought back. The sort of move to Notts Forest didn't, didn't materialise and I, I went back to Rotherham and played quite a lot of games the sort of following season and eventually got me moved to Bristol City. So it was like a real great learning curve uh, to go to Notts Forest, but to sort of play at such a, a young age at, at Rotherham and, and play, well, I think I played between 120, 150 games and uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a local club, I could be at home, I could be with my parents and, and, and develop with some really good, good coaches back then. Funny you mentioned about Cluffy because as I was listening, I'm thinking, what's he done that for? But it's that kind of like level of right level of weird, the right level of genius, isn't it? At the same time, oh, it, was, it was amazing. And, and and people, George Kerr back then was at I bumped him in two or three times. He was trying to quiz me of what about Brian Clough because he was like, say, nobody knew what Brian Clough was, was thinking. Yeah, and, and like I said, he, he had he had senior internationals. Uh, literally in fear. So you can imagine what a, a, a 16, 17-year-old young boy who'd done nothing in the game <laughs> felt. Uh, but then, but on, on the next next couple of days, uh, I bumped into him in the car park and I was sort of driving, i just passed my test and I was driving back to Sheffield and he, he was talking about my mum and dad and where I lived and, and, and the sort of, the passion and love he felt towards my family as well. And wants to show real interest, uh, inviting them down to games and the first team games. I didn't play no first team games. I played about a dozen reserve team games uh, while I was there for that month. And 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 the the real care he showed uh, towards me. Still called me Rotherham. Never once called me Martin or Scotty. It was Rotherham. Uh, that was his. That was his, That was my name for that full full month. Uh, but learnt so much. I learned so much from him, and I, I, I took that uh, into into every club and every every team I sort of played uh, played for. It's an absolute travesty when you think about it that Cluffy a never managed Sunderland, but that's very biased. B mm. never managed England. It, 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 I've been I've been looking obviously recent obviously now, now we're all locked. I've been looking at past interviews with Brian Clough. They're absolutely fantastic. Honestly, his 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 mindset and and the the people who are interviewing him. Are in fear of him. Yeah, uh, they're scared to ask a question because he he has people just eating out of his hand, uh, and, and how he how he does it is is obviously it's, it's amazing how he how he speaks and the knowledge he had. Uh, but to get the teams he he had playing like they did and winning what we did back in the sort of seventies and eighties was was amazing. Uh, and like I said, he he had the top top international players performing so well for him, uh, doing very, very little training. Didn't train a lot at all. Uh, he was very big on resting and getting yourself ready for the match days, but uh, certainly working in the mind, getting the mind right. Uh, and I don't think even his son, Nigel, knew what his dad was thinking. And, and, and like I said, he there was one night, a Tuesday night, Nigel played for the first team. I think, I'm trying to think, it might have been Chef Wednesday. He scored two goals. Mm-hmm. He played up front, and I think they won three-one at at the city ground. The reserves were playing the following night, so I was actually uh, playing the next night. So we're in the dressing rooms, and the team had been picked by the reserve team manager. In walks Nigel with his dad, and uh, Brian Clough just changed the team completely around and played Nigel centre half that night. He played the striker the night before. Uh, for some reason, he wanted his son to do more defensive work, and he played centre half for a full 90 minutes in the reserves. And he was, again, he was, he was, he was outstanding at centre-half. Uh, <laughs> but just the way his, 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 his dad did things was, was amazing. And it was a real learning curve for me. You mentioned before, but yeah, obviously you got the moves to Bristol City. Um, mm. As it was, as far as I'm aware, you got man of the match against Sheffield Wednesday. But that that's not the, the best mm. part of the story, is it? Um I think your parents had come down to watch no, you. It was, you funny, it was funny one because, Bristol. yeah, it was funny. Jimmy Lumsden signed me. Uh, yeah. And I, I travelled down there and it was uh, close to Christmas. So it was it was, it was was really close to Christmas. And we, we had Sheffield Wednesday coming up. So I signed. I was ready for a move. 
I'd gone mm-hmm. as far as I can with Rotherham, and, and like I said, they they sold me for two hundred thousand. It was amazing because two or three years earlier, I nearly didn't sign for them, and I nearly did, didn't get offered anything because I was too small. They took a chance with me and offered me a YTS. They sold me two or three years later for two hundred thousand, and that actually saved the club. Good money then as well, so really a, good money. Yeah, two hundred thousand was a lot of money back then. It actually saved the club. It was, the club was in liquidation. Uh, so the, the the scouts who who scouted me and obviously all the youth team coaches deserve a, a massive pat on the back for, for for trusting. But I was still question mark: Is he going to be big enough? And I it just that couple of summers I grew. I'm, I'm not the biggest anyway. Now I'm what five ten, nearly five eleven. Uh, but I was really talking five two, five three back then. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, I could run all day. I had good energy, good technical ability, but not not the tallest. Uh, and 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 to be Thousands of kids having the same problems now of being told that they're not tall enough or question mark, that sort of thing. So advice is just to hang in there, keep digging in there, keep working hard. And there's always somebody looking for that sort of player. And like I said, I got me moved to Bristol City, big money. And Bristol was a big club then. It was a championship club. Uh, well supported, big city, obviously two club city. And it just felt right. It felt it felt right for me. Uh, the team I signed for was an ageing team. It had a lot of experience in the team. Gary Shelton, uh, Mark Hazelwood, uh, a lot of players have put, have played at the highest level and sort of just coming down in their careers. Uh, and I signed, and my first game was Sheffield Wednesday. Ron Atkinson was the manager, and, and Trevor Francis played right wing. And and a young lad against this uh, ex international who was an experienced international, big player for Sheffield Wednesday. They won the league that year, uh, and I got man of the match. So it was like a, a really good start for me. Really good yeah. start because obviously I was this young boy coming in at left back and the fans took to me straight away because I was tough tackling and got stuck in and and down in the sort of Bristol area they did never really seen that sort of thing uh, yeah. and the fans took to me straight away and halfway through the game the snow started to come down and it, the, the game just finished we drew one one I think we, we drew one one got a good point uh, Chef Wednesday team couldn't. Go back to Sheffield. The snow was that bad. My mum yeah. and dad drove down. They couldn't get back to Sheffield. Obviously, they drove down. So we ended up staying that night at the, at the chairman's house. The chairman invited. I couldn't get back to my parents. So we, we were sort of snowed in anyway. I had nowhere to stay. So we got invited back to the chairman's house that night. And me, my mum and dad uh, slept at the chairman's. And, and uh, God bless him. He's, he's dead now, him and his wife. But uh, a fantastic gesture, like I say. Just... It just really helped a, a family who obviously were, were, were sort of stuck, really. Good start as well, if you think the chairman's like seen you in one game and then going, all right, you can stay over. If he'd said exactly. you can't stay over, I might have gotten a bit... Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not sport, too sure the, uh, I'm not too sure what the rest of the uh, players thought, like, you know what I mean? After one day, sort of staying at the chairman's house. <laughs> but no, like I said, good times. Like I said, Ron, Ron Atkinson, a fantastic manager. Uh, they won, won the league that year and got... Got promoted to the uh, prem, uh, well, the Premiership uh, back then, uh, but coming coming up against them sort of players at a, as a seventeen, eighteen year old player was 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 a great learning curve for me again. Bunch of really good players actually. I was reading through like the list of players that were there, and I think you mentioned Trevor Francis, but David Hurst up front, Carlton Palmer in midfield, yeah, Carlton Palmer, Nigel Worthington, Na- yeah. Nigel Pearson was in the That's team right. as well. I think That's then right. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah All yeah. players that had super long Premiership careers. Or of Premier course, League career, of course. Well, David Hurst, David Hurst the same age as me, and he, I used to play against him. He was from Barnsley, uh, Hursty, and obviously he used to play in the grassroots sort of leagues at the same sort of time. So he was one who obviously you could see he was a big, powerful boy when he was growing up. Uh, yeah, and it, there was a lot of talk of him signing for Manchester United. I think he's got he's gone on record to say he sort of turned them down, or something happened where he he didn't get the move he wanted to the Man United. But he still, he still did fantastically well in his career and scored yeah. scored uh, loads of goals for Sheffield Wednesday. Talking about how well it went to Bristol City, I think you're absolutely right. It went kind of well from day one. I think you won Player of the Year as well in 91, 92. Um, That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why, did, why did it go so well so fast? It was... Well, Jimmy Lumsden signed me and, 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 and like I said, I think the, the style of me play, I think that's what it was. It, it, it was... Yeah. Uh, it was a club who, who and it's it, it's again it's it's a club who, who obviously been in the top division 
uh, many, many years ago, went from fourth to the first to the first to the fourth in eight years. Yeah. Uh, and, and I was reading a story not long long ago, giving players ten year contracts, and then then players had to sort of renege on them contracts and 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 sort of give the contracts back and walk away really to save the club. Uh, I think it's, I think it's called the sort of Bristol Ten or something. Ten ex players who, if they hadn't walked away from their contracts, the club would have folded, and 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 they're well respected now. Uh, but Bristol's always been seen as a sort of sleeping giant. And will it ever get to the level it wants to get to? Yeah. I went down last year to see a friend who was who was struggling with cancer, ex-player, and I, I got invited to to a game and I went to the club and it's changed massively. And it's a premiership club. Premiership support. It's a massive city. It's a fantastic city. Uh, I love my time there, but will it ever make that final jump to the next level? Uh, they've invested heavily over the last two or three years. Uh, the manager Johnson, Lee Johnson, has done a fantastic job, but they just seem to be missing out either in playoffs or just miss out in getting in the playoffs, and they just can't make that final, final sort of jump, uh, even though they're, they're investing big money. Uh, but I was well liked, well respected, and I've been that at every club. To be honest with you, I think I always put it down to the way I am as a person. I, I'm very approachable. I'll speak to any supporter. I, I, I'll sign anything. I think. The way you sort of relate to supporters and 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 we all, we've all had it where you're sat in a restaurant or you've been out with a drink with your wife and supporters come over here to you, and I've known players not like that and and sort of walk away or or not sign things. But I've been totally open, transparent. That I, I love to be recognised. I love to speak about football because I, I I'm a passion, I'm passionate about football. I'm I'm a supporter myself. Uh, so I took that from Rob from Sheffield down to Bristol and, and got on really well with the fans and always was always open, uh, very committed with my football. But I played a lot of games for Bristol in a short space of time. But the, the problem we had, I had four managers in less than four years. So it, it was never really a settled setup. Yeah. Uh, I was still developing. I was doing well. We had a famous winner, obviously, at Anfield in the FA Cup when uh, Russell Osman was manager. Uh, so we had Jimmy Lumsden, Russell Osman, Dennis Smith, who was obviously a, a fantastic manager at Sunderland. Uh, we had some great times with Dennis. And then obviously uh, Joey Jordan eventually sold me to, to Sunderland. But it was too many managers in a short space of time uh, for us to really get a settled team to try and make a push up the, up the division. I think it was before you'd actually signed, Was Joe Jordan was there first, yeah. wasn't he? And then he went That's to right, Arthur. Yeah. So it was like full circle. He yeah. unexpectedly went and then you've got the full circle where you went through all these different managers. But mm-hmm. you, touch, you touched on one manager there, Dennis Smith. Um, mm-hmm. Admittedly, slightly before my time, admittedly. Mm-hmm. But you can't be a Sunderland fan and not hear about Dennis Smith. Mm-hmm. Like, what are your, your, maybe your funniest or your fondest memories that you have of Dennis Smith? It's, well, I can remember, I was at Robin when I first met Dennis. I was in around the first team, I was in the first team and we played Sunderland. I'll never forget it. It was a, it was a season he got promoted, and I've never seen so many Sunderland fans in all four sides of the stadium at no more. And it was chaos. They were obviously on a promotion push, exactly what we've seen over the years since I've played, and, and yeah. what fantastic support. And I'll never, never forget it coming up the tunnel as a player, and there was bodies laid everywhere. There was blood everywhere. There was bodies. The Sunderland fans were fighting. Uh, with ourselves, uh, the first day was it was stretches with bodies laid, and I'm thinking, my God, these these supporters are absolutely crackers, and that was the first time I've ever really seen yeah. passion about Sunderland supporters. And obviously, I met Dennis, uh, I met uh, Viv Busby and Malcolm Crosby on that day, uh, and he had a fantastic season. Uh, really key players, obviously Gabardini, Eric Gates, all the all the key players at that time. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously in a few years' time, I get the chance to sign for Sunderland. So my lasting memories was, was this this passion, uh, and I thought I want some of that. That'll do for me because yeah, which which, which has shown over the years since I played for them the, the the passion they've shown, and I love that. And and that, and I think that's again the reason why I was well liked at Sunderland. I get on really well. I've got some fantastic friends. Absolutely. Uh, at Sunderland and I, I still keep 
in touch with all the all the supporters, and and, and every time I get invited to supporters, do I, I go to it because I'm passionate about it, and I I, I love Sunland, and I've always loved Sunland, uh, and I I look at the results straight away, and I I continue to support them. I I, I call myself a supporter now, adopted Mackham as they say, but going back to Denny Smith, he like I said, not long enough really. He came and signed, and it was back then when the manager used to join in training. And Dennis yeah. loved joining training, and uh, it was just a usual thing, and eight aside or something. And Dennis always wants to see himself as an hard man. I'm the toughest centre half ever at Stoke, and he, he was. Let's be honest, yeah. he had a fantastic career, but he always wants to show that to uh, the, the lads. Uh, and Mickey Mellon now was, was manager of Tranmere. Mickey yeah. was there as, as a young player. Mickey was a tough player, a good player, Mickey. Uh, and a lad called Davies, David, uh, Dave Smith was his name, who came from Millwall. He was a tough centre-half, real beanpole sort of Jackie Charlton sort of style centre-half. He came from Millwall to Bristol City and they fancied themselves. Anyway, Dennis joined in and Mickey didn't really get on with Dennis at the time. He was out the team, so went up for an header with Dennis and he caught Dennis at the side of Eddie and he split Dennis's head open and it needed stitches. But Dennis was like, Licking his own blood, bring it on, carry on, carry on. So blood was pouring down Dennis's face. So all, all those players were like, "My God, this manager's crackers here." Yeah. Ball came in again. He went in for an header with this other lad, and got elbowed on back at head. <laughs> his head open. So he had these two massive gashes on his head. Blood was just gushing now, front of his face, back of his head. Play on. So this game just continued, but it was like. Covered the old Teddy Butcher sort yeah. of scenario. Yeah, I was going to say that's what came to mind. Yeah, yeah, covered in blood, and he just loved it. He just loved looking like that. He loved the players saying, "My God, he's crackers." Went yeah. back to the stadium. The doctor stitched him here. I think he had eight above his eye. But the funny thing was, he had to shave his head because <laughs> the cut was that bad on the back of his head. So he had to, he had to have like a bald patch cut in his hair, <laughs> like a monk. Exactly. Yeah. So we were pissing ourselves laughing. But that just showed you what he was all about. Uh, he was definitely a, a player's manager. He loved the lads yeah. to go out. He enjoyed that. End of the season trip to Magaluf. Always Magaluf. Uh, and he was there with the boys drinking. Good banter. And he was well liked, to be honest with you. I felt for him because he didn't really he didn't really get long enough. Uh, and he was on his own down there. He didn't bring his... I know for a fact he wants to bring Malcolm Crosby and Viv Busby, but I don't think the board allowed it. Yeah, uh, and he, he he took Russell Osman, who was a player then, player coach then, within him as an assistant, and I think Dennis wanted his old sort of pals around him for, for it to really sort of take off. Yeah, it's natural. Uh, yeah, and, and he didn't get long enough, and and it was funny because he still lived in Bristol. He loved, he loved, uh, he loved Bristol. He loved the supporters. Uh, the supporters didn't really see the best of him. Uh, it, it weren't until. Like say, Joy uh, Jordan got the job, and he rings me up and tells him that Sunland's in for me. The first person I rung was Dennis, and I said, "Can I come and see you?" And he went, "Come round." So he, he only lived five minutes from me. I went to see him. I said, "Sunland's come in for me." He went, "You've got to go." He went, "You'll absolutely love it." He says, "They'll love you." He said, "Because I know what you like as a player." He says, "You've got to go because it's it's a next step for you as a player." So. It made my mind up realistic before I even jumped in the car. Yeah. Uh, he, he was explaining what he'd what he'd sort of sampled over the years. He was manager, the passion, uh, and like again, again, I was three and a half, nearly four years into sort of playing at Bristol. I was ready again for that for that next move. And, and let's be honest, Sunderland compared to Bristol is an, is another step. Yeah. Uh, even though it was Roker Park. Uh, was like the old stadium, but just the history, the passion, the support, and uh, in all fairness, the team at the time were both in the championship. Uh, the team was struggling. Uh, I signed for Sunderland and, and got right in a relegation battle. Yeah, yeah. And and, and Bristol, at, at two or three games later, was sort of leapfrog Sunderland, and we went into the bottom two or three, and it was real pressure on us then. And I thought the last thing I want is to leave Bristol and come to a come to Sunderland and get relegated uh, because there was big expectations let's be honest Don Goodman had just been sold to Wolves for a million pound 
uh, and they were desperate to see what the club were going to sign, and they signed a, a left back. But it weren't the it weren't the ideal signing that the, the fans wanted. Let's be honest. And it took it took me a bit of time. I, I've got to be totally honest. It took me a bit of time to settle in, and and to realise what what it was all about at Sunderland, and and the the, the, the pressure and the passion. Uh, Bristol, I settled straight away. I, I, that first game, perfect. It, it set me up, but it took me must be half a dozen. 12 games before I really settled and it, and it was a real pressure situation my mum and dad were knew me inside out and saw the saw the stress I was under because I, I, the expectations were, were were massive on me and and let's be honest I weren't going to score I weren't going to score loads of goals as a striker because I weren't a striker I was a full back yeah and the team was in a relegation battle and 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 the players at the time uh, Mickey Buxton was manager, brought me in. Yeah, I was going to say it was Buxton yeah. then, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah, Mickey Buxton brought me in. He signed yeah. Steve Agnew the week later. And uh, we both came into a team that was struggling and we're only heading one way, to be honest with you. And and, and we had good players. There were quite a bit of disillusion, disillusioned players in there. A lot of younger players weren't having Mickey Buxton and some of the senior players were sort of tired with his ways. Uh, and obviously the club recognised that, and and obviously brought brought Peter Reid in sort of last seven eight games or so, and 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 hey, the rest is history. Let's be honest, and yeah, similar, absolutely similar players, similar sort of squad. To be honest with you, uh, just the way we'd sort of galvanised the squad. We uh, Bowley was fantastic at the time, and my first I'll never forget it. My first training session, I walked in the dressing room. I've never seen so many tattoos in all my life. Um, um, I've got no tattoos and I'm stripping off getting changed before training. I'm seeing Richard Ord and Bawley and all these different players are stripping off and they're covered in tattoos. And I'm thinking, my God, this is a pub team. Pub team. <laughs> and they're all talking about different things at the weekend and I'm thinking, my God. And you could just see that there wasn't that professionalism that, yeah. that was needed. And and we sort of jogged around the Charlie Early Centre the first day and it was blowing a gale and the usual thing, jog round, get stretched off. And we used to stand in the corner behind the little hut and get stretched off out the out the sort of out the wind, the rain. And Bawley came up to me that first day and he went, What's your first impressions? And I looked at him, I said, Do you want the honest truth? He went, Yeah. I went, relegation. He went, fucking spot on you. This is Bawley. <laughs> yeah. He went, why do you say that? I said, there's no discipline, Kev. He went, you'll do for me. And we've been best of mates ever since. Yeah. And he, I think it was a real, I think Kev recognised me as that first sort of piece of jigsaw of a, a sort of different mentality. And and that's no, no disrespect to all the players who were there because obviously they'd gone through uh, different things with the manager and different, they'd seen different things but from an outsider looking in which I was that first day it was quite easy for me to, to recognise it uh, and, and, and I recognised it straight away and I, I'm an honest guy I told Kev straight away and before you know it Kev had organised a meeting with the players and just said look we've got 10 games to go for instance we're all some of you are out of contract some have just signed for the club some have got two or three years left, we all need to stick together. Whatever you feel about the club, the manager, whatever, let's stick together, let's get the results and let's sort it all out in the summer. Went out for the drink and it sort of galvanised us. This is before Mickey Buxton had got the sack. Yeah. And, and two or three weeks later, he got, he got the sack and Peter Reid came on. So I've always said, as much as Peter Reid was fantastic and he, he sort of just put the little pieces in place with Bobby Saxon and one or two little things he did, uh, with the training methods, uh, we'd sort of galvanised the team already, and 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 obviously really recognised the, the talent we already had, and and a lot of good young players like Mickey Gray uh, were already at the club, uh, and he sort of just built on that, and 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 it weren't it didn't surprise me that the following season we we we, we get promotion. Because, it's funny because uh, I think a lot of people were surprised by it in a way, was surprised by the... At first, we're like, whoa, they were near relegation, and then then this happens. But, like, 
when you look back through the team that was there, like on the Buxton, there was a lot of players that ended up being either part of this 105-point squad mm-hmm. or the Premier League squad as it was. You've got Smithy, yourself, mm-hmm. Bowley, mm-hmm. Um, Phil Gray, mm-hmm. um, Mickey Andy Gray, Mel- Andy, Andy Melville, Melville. Uh, uh, Richard Ord. Dickie Ord, yeah. Uh, Aggers was there. Yeah. Uh, 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 Ned Kelly, David Kelly. Yeah. So, so these are all 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 players who like say were at the club and and like say just want to, they just need a tweaking and 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 really recognise that and like say when he when he, when he brought his style of management in, uh, Bobby Saxon obviously his style of coaching very much four four two formation wise but everyone yeah. everyone knew, knew the job, uh, fantastic man manager, a team manager uh, for the lads. Loved, loved us going out together, but going out together as a team and celebrating together. And uh, and back then, it was massive to get results on the pitch on a Saturday. Uh, and 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 he, we just we'd like to say we we didn't score loads of goals that season, but we we were really hard to beat, hard to break down. Uh, and he got it off to a tee. And like I said, we all knew his jobs. It was very demanding, which you've obviously seen on the. On, on on TV and different Premier Passions and stuff, but as players, uh, it was tough. It was, a, yeah. it, was a, it was tough. He he was, and I think when you when you, I, I, I was speaking to him two or three weeks ago actually, and we had a chat about different things. But when you're a player, you don't really recognise why managers say certain things, and and yeah, it's gone on record. I think Mickey's gone on record that. Me and Reedy had a, a bit of a set to, and I'll never forget it. It, it was, it was in training, and uh, it was at Charlie Early, and like I said, Reedy used to join in. In fact, the old Denny Smith ex-players, they all think he can yeah. play still. In, in all fairness, Reedy was a top player and, and could still play. Absolutely. But we he used to join in the training at the end. Bit of fun, really, but it was like it was a winning mentality. You, you're going to win this game, and uh, Sacco. Typical Sacco organised the teams, and I was on the opposition team to Reedy. And I'd played it like a one-two, and I'd sort of shoulder charge. Me and Reedy came together, and I'd gone like full pelt to shoulder charge Reedy. And it'd been raining, and it was puddles everywhere. And I totally knocked Reedy off his feet, and he went sliding through this puddle, like face first. And he must have gone 20, 25 yards in this puddle, and it was absolutely dripping wet. His obviously ears stuck out. And it was so funny. All the lads, and I, I said to this day, if the lads had to laughed, he'd have just took it. But the yeah. lads were pissing us and laughing. Fucking Bowley was just <laughs> laughing his head off. And Bowley was on my team. And he turned around, really, he gets up, he's dripping wet. And he went, so you fucking want some, dear? <laughs> and that was it. It was. You could see the red mist had come. Yeah. So, the game continued. He just came for me. And Bowley just went, here, Scotty, have that ball. Laid one between me and Reedy. So I had to, like, stretch him and go for this ball, but knowing that Reedy were coming for me. Yeah. If, I, if I had to jump, honestly, it had snapped me in two. But that's that's what he was. And that's what he wanted from his players. And, and that is a winner. That, exactly. He was a winner. And, and, and for the next 10, 15 minutes... He did nothing but chase me around this pitch. Just wanted to kick, kick me in the air. And, and we, after every training session, we went into, into the Charlie Early Centre, a cup of tea, big pot of tea, sit there, having a chat and having a laugh. And I was stood at the counter and he came up to me, Reader, and he apologised. He went, I want to apologise. I said, what for? He went, I lost it. I said, but I, can't, I couldn't help it. And I said, well, you can never change what you are. You're a winner. And, and that sort of thing didn't just happen to me. It happened to many Many a player at that time, uh, where he where he he had a go to him after a game, or he didn't think they were training right or whatever, and it was the right thing to say at the time. But when you're a player, you find it hard to accept it. Yeah, the manager having a go at you because you think, why is he having a go at me? Why didn't you have a go at so and so? But I think now, looking back, and me and Kev, me and Bolly's talked about this, and he he picked me out two or three times after games, and he picked Kev out numerous times. Famously, after a Grimsby game away, we won four nil, and him and Bowley were come out of the match. Him and Bowley were face to face, 
never forget it. And and Sacco was having a go at Bali and we were actually going to Manchester for the weekend to celebrate how well we're doing. But Reedy did it for a reason. Yeah. As if to say, you've won 4-0, but we didn't play well. I'm nailing the I'm nailing I'm nailing a top man here. Bowley was a top man. Bowley was a captain. So if you could nail Bowley, the rest of us are done. Yeah. And we all looked at that and we all respected that. And we thought, my God, look at this. Bowley face to face with Reedy. I'm hiding here. I'm winning the showers. But that's that's good man management. I think when I watch, yeah. do you know what no Premier Passions? When I watch yeah, Premier yeah. Passions, yeah. it's like I watched it back. We're talking before lockdown, a couple of months ago now. I watched Ooh. it back like season by season, and it's the the weakest piss and fucking minging and this that. And yeah. I think it's a yeah. Wimbledon game when we're getting beat three yeah. one. And it's, yeah, it's many men against boys. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the one. That's the one. And I see Mickey Bridges seventeen lifts his head up. And you can see he's like catching the eye, but you can see as soon as he's caught his eye, he's like, fuck. And his yeah. head straight down immediately. It's like, yeah. yeah. But it's, you know, really, yeah, it fell apart at the end a little bit. But do you, do you think that's the reason that, obviously, with the seven games to go, do you think he just raised the standards a little bit? Because I'm not no, saying he, Nick he, Fox he, didn't he, have well, standards. No, I'll, but... I'll be honest with you, I can remember we, we went to Burnley. I think we needed a point or whatever to make sure we were safe. And Yeah, no, he, no. Yeah, yeah. He, he took the pressure off us. I'll never forget it because imagine the supporters at, at Burnley that time. It was it was jam packed with Sunderland fans, and there was massive pressure on us. Potentially relegation here. Yeah. Forget about, forget about championships. That's that's the biggest pressure, relegation. Oh yeah. And, we know and, that and, now. And, and <laughs> uh, just before we went out, we actually stood before Bowley banged on the door as he usually does, which you saw in Premier Passions. Does he did it every game? Just before Bowley starts to bang on the door, Reedy comes. At the front, he says, "Wait, lads, wait, lads, don't go yet." Uh, ref has blown his whistle. I've got a joke for you, and he told the joke about a snail. <laughs> this long, drawn-out joke about a snail finally uh-huh. getting to the front door and knocking on the door. I can't remember what the joke was, but we just burst out laughing, pissing <laughs> ourselves laughing, and this is like probably the biggest game of the season. But that's. That's good management because he's recognised yeah. the pressure, he's, he's relieved it, he's obviously been told the joke two or three nights before and he's thought, right, I'm telling this before the lads go out. So we go out and we get a nil-nil and we get the point that keeps us up and he gets the job and away we go. It uh, The rest is history again. For me, that laying them sort of things in place, it's not until all these years later you start to think about it when you get older. That's good man management. Yeah, and, and 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 I've questioned him two or three times. Why is having a go at me? But when you've been a coach, when you've been a manager like I have, you know why he's done it. You know why he nailed Bowley after Grimsby. At the time, you don't, because you just as players, we're all selfish. We all think about ourselves. Of course. But but really, as a manager, you have to think about everybody, and that's players, supporters, wives. Everybody in the club, everybody relates to the club. Talking about not really clicking on the, the, the reason managers do things, had Danny Higginbotham on. Obviously, he was under yeah. Eric Harrison when he was growing up. Yeah. And I think uh, he, he said he got nailed every single week, every single week. And then he made his debut and he said he'd give him a lift home in his car and he said, do you enjoy your debut? He says, yeah, yeah, I loved it. He says, um, you know, what, what was it... Uh, what did it feel like? You got any questions? He said, I've got one question, but it's not about me, about my debut. Can I ask you, Eric, why do you always call me out? He's like, even if it's not my fault and I'm playing at centre-off or left-back and the, the strikers made a mistake or midfielders came out of position and that's cost us a goal, you always nail me. And he said, he turned around, he says, you'll realise this like when you get later in your career, when a manager stops having a go at you, he doesn't think he can improve you. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't yeah. think he can make a difference with you, so... And in all the time to Warriors then. I've, I've tried to, throughout my coaching career, uh, I've always felt that you can change the sort of bad apple. I've always said, yeah. hey, I can change him. And I've tried numerous times, and I've tried different tactics. And I, and I have been in one or two, but some lepers can't change the spots. Yeah. That's the way they are, and they'll never change. Uh, but, but, but you're right. 
the day you, the day the coach or the manager stops having a go at you or shows an interest in you, is is giving up on you. Yeah. So actually, if you've got the knowledge back then, when you but you haven't because you're obviously younger, you should you should appreciate that they they care about you, even though they might be having a go at you, but they actually show an interest in you. And we really did that a lot. And they're trying to help you. Really yeah. did that a lot. I mean, in my opinion, sometimes wrongly. I'll never say it was face like I'm, I'd probably be quite scared of him to be honest. But, um, but you look at Bridges. He got like as soon as he didn't sign a contract, he was out. Yeah, yeah. Some well, of it was very. A uh, couple of things with me, like said towards, and we've chatted about it since. And he he apologised a couple of things that he said he'd done. He, he, he shouldn't have, and 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 or said, and vice versa. Uh, but utmost respect for him as a person, as a manager at the time, utmost. And like I said, if I was fit and, and, and ready to go, I played. And yeah. I think that's a, a big thing for me. I, I, I knew he, let, he rated me and he liked what, I, what he saw in me. Uh, and I, I've got to admit, playing at them times, them sort of six and a half years at Sunderland was was, was fantastic. Uh, obviously, I, the last sort of year and a half of injuries and stuff took its toll on me and eventually it cost me my career but and, and, and that's that was a massive disappointment but when I was flying I, I, I loved my time at Sunderland especially moving to the new stadium and all that that what that brought and stuff was fantastic talking that's about obviously best moments that you had though um talk maybe individually because to be fair you never want to lose a derby no matter what right Never, ever, ever. But like, if and it kills me to say, but I've got to try and be neutral here. Newcastle had one of the best teams, not just in the league, in the world at that point. You had Shearer, yeah. Beardsley, mm-hmm. Ferdinand, uh, Lee Clark was good then as well. Yeah, Clark yeah. was good for Newcastle yeah, yeah. then. But obviously, we went one up. Your penalty. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if it was the forward or the wall. It was. Uh... I'm pretty certain of where you scored. Yeah, the walker end. Yes, it was a far. Uh, I get mixed up. It's quite a tall turn right, the big one. I've got a picture of it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty. I thought it, I thought it was the forward, but I could be wrong because I'm sure it was left hand side. So that would have been Walker end, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, but that was the day we had no fan. They they had no fans. It was a funny feeling because uh, you're right, no fans. Uh, Mad now, uh, thinking back. Yeah. Crazy thinking back that that happened now. Yeah, yeah. It was a real strange, ab- strange atmosphere now. before the game. During the game, after the game, obviously great when we scored, but but when when obviously they they equalised and obviously got the winner, it was just there was actually were some Newcastle fans in the stadium, one or two, and and I think they quickly got out when they when when they scored the second. But it was a funny atmosphere, it, like I said, it was a wrong atmosphere because yeah, I've been to derbies when when both sets of fans home and away, and it's it's fantastic, it's yeah, passionate, you want it. it's ruthless, but you want that. Of course, uh, that and uh, yeah, great. I've scored. I've got a picture. Of me, a, a, a good friend of mine bought me a picture actually taken from uh, the opposite end when I've scored against Cernicek. Is it? Yeah. Uh, everything, yeah. Everything's everything's black and white in the picture. It's the size of a sort of big TV, and I'm in red and white, so everything's black and white apart from me scoring. And it's a fantastic picture. Uh, and I've got that on me on, on, on me wall in my garage, so it's, it's it's a nice nice remember thing, yeah. So it's it's nice to see. Funny you mentioned about the uh, when they scored and there was no fans, and you heard like the the smattering of cheers. I remember being in Roker Park, and I I was gutted. I think I was about ten, yeah. um, and the goal goes in. I think it was their second one. I think it was Ferdinand that scored it. Um, the second one goes in, and you heard like the odd cheer, but you heard it like instantly with like <laughs> yeah. straight afterwards. You were just like. Exactly, oh, yeah. Well, that's them. Exactly. Um, yeah. But it, you're right in what you're saying. As much as you know, we we hate each other, and we do, we do hate each other. Let's be honest. Um, I remember the the other the other game when Mickey Gray scored, and he mm-hmm. cuts inside and he bangs it in the bottom corner, and you hear Mickey Gray shouting, "Yeah, anything else?" And you're mm-hmm. talking of what was it then? Forty five thousand? Yeah, think, yeah. That's right. That's right. Like, but it, it's weird because. I, I, I like shouting at them, and they like shouting at us. Like it's. I've actually. It's funny. I was. I was really. I was really support. Someone support to one of the bad lads years ago, uh, down in Siem uh, last week, and uh, we were talking about the games because since I've retired, 
I've yeah. mostly, every game that we've played, uh, home and away, I've been invited uh, to go with the supporters and I've, and I've yeah. gone with them. And, and it's just, when you're a player, you don't see that side of it, obviously travelling to the on, yeah, on the crew or winter. The, and it, it's just an eye-opener, what goes off before games. Uh, fantastic banter. Uh, but obviously a massive rival when you obviously get close to close to uh, St James's or vice versa. Uh, but it's a it's a fantastic and everybody misses them games. Let's be honest. Yeah, I really Massively miss them. Yeah, and I, I just can't see. Well, it's going to be numerous. Well, I miss years. winning them. It's, well, exactly. <laughs> it's going to be numerous years before we have a, a local derby again. Let's be honest. Yeah, I feel like we're unfortunately numerous unless years. it's cup. Exactly. I don't think I'd fancy not at the minute. Don't think I'd fancy that at the minute. The way things, the way I things know. are currently. Exactly, yeah. But not like I said, going back, uh, really was really was different class, and, and like I said, Bobby, uh, Bobby Saxon, and obviously uh, Brace, Paul Brace, while was there as player coach as well. Good player, uh, really good player, and obviously uh, other other staff behind the scenes. So it was a good time to good time to be at the club, and don't regret anything about it. My biggest regrets is not playing more games, getting badly injured. Uh, we obviously career threatening injuries, and eventually it's cost me. It cost me sort of at least five, maybe eight years of my career, which is which 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 is a massive disappointment. I was going to say sort of final question with it because there's so much stuff you could speak about. Some the stadium like move, yeah. Quinny Phillips, all that stuff, and but I think. You know, when it comes to your son and career, that's probably tinged with a little bit of frustration. Not disappointment, frustration, because you talked about really before. Now, Mickey Gray, brilliant season at left-back, mm-hmm. like in the 97-98. And that was mainly, he got his chance there, mainly because yeah. you were injured. Yeah. So he, he moves in there. And Mickey Gray and Johnson have this, I mean, it was telepathic. It was some of the best yeah. partnership I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it comes to QPR at home, first game of the season. And Mickey Gray got put at right-back, basically... Mm-hmm to accommodate that you could play at left-back, mm. which when you think about how good that team was, and he made very minimal changes, like mm. he brought Butler in, like a brick shit house that could get rid yeah. of stuff, changed Perez for Sorensen. Mm. Basically, like, as much as I love Lionel, not the best goalkeeper in the world, yeah. As a, yeah. especially not comparison to Tommy. Yeah. Uh, you changed that You changed that all around, but he still said, well, you know, Scotty's fit, so you play Scotty. Mm. Is that like, does it almost frustrate you if you think, if it wasn't for those injuries... Maybe I could have been in the, the seventh place teams and stuff like that. Or do you do you are you more do you find it more enjoyable like you you know you're part of it and you don't look no, back? It's, it's massive, no, I've 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 got massive. I've got no regrets because there's nothing I did personally for that. I, I was the most yeah, absolutely focused and disciplined person ever. It was just circumstances. Uh, I got two bad injuries, which which really really one of the injuries got operated on and it got operated on wrongly. So I got back from the operation. It weren't until I got back eight, nine months later, I was found out that the operation I had wasn't done properly. So I had to have it redone. So that cost me 15 months rather than sort of nine months. And then I, I got my other ankle done. But Mickey, hey, Mickey was great because he, he played in front of me for numerous years. Yeah. He was, he was fitter than anything, Mickey. And, and let's be honest, we, have, we, we used to joke about it. Uh, Mickey used to do all my running. I used to organise Mickey, and it was like a, a little dog. Go on, Mickey, chase that, chase that, chase that. But I was, I was the sort of experience behind him, and we had a fantastic relationship. But I, I was in the stands also when I saw Mickey at left back, and I saw Johnson, uh, obviously uh, Alan Johnson, left left wing. Fantastic relationship and partnership. Uh, and 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 in all fairness to to, to Jono, when I went to left back, I was different to Mickey. I wouldn't yeah. do the things that Mickey did, and vice versa. And 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 Mickey used to overlap uh, in our six-yard box, where my mentality was always defensive mindset. Mickey's was always a, as as the fullbacks evolved over the years. Mickey's mindset was to bomb forward uh, because he was a left winger by by yeah. by nature, really. But it worked really well that year. Uh, when I, I was more, well, attacking and crossing and scoring was a bonus for me. I want to make sure we keep a clean sheet. Yeah. You Where were more Mickey the was, Chris Macon, weren't yeah, you, in Mickey a way? Was a, Mickey, yeah. Mickey was more of a gun-ho, uh, even, even though he's a good defender, Mickey, and he was as fit as anything. Uh, he was more gun-ho, I'm going to go beyond you, John O. 
which allowed and I think brought more to Jono's game because he could cut in more and 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 hence why the relationship that they've got. So it was hey, you're right. When I was fit, really played me. Yeah. Uh, it weren't until, in in all fairness, when I got my, my second bad injury. I was starting to struggle big style, and, and Mickey made the position his own. Let's be honest, he he got really knocked on the door of the, of the England setup as well. The biggest disappointment for me is, is that two years before that, I was that close to the England setup. Yeah, I I'd remember already been, that. I'd already been told I was probably going to get called up for the next next squad uh, by a by a, by a, a medical person. Actually, rang me just a question about me injuries and stuff, and I was getting called up. I got injured. And that's that's something I find hard to live with now. Looking back, yeah. potentially I could have, I could have obviously been called up to represent your represent your country, and it's a it's a tough one to take. But that's like uh, you hear old blokes in the pub sort of sat talking. I could have played football. I could have played for England. This sort of thing. I, I don't I don't want to be one of them to be honest with you. But uh, I knew potentially I had the ability, and yeah, uh, I, I could have I could have got there if if, if injuries permitted. I think absolutely. I talk about like that era. Like you're right, and Mickey Gray and, and Phillips got up when we had the 105 yeah. point season. But when we were in the Premiership, I think there was there was big rumours of you and Dickie Ord because Dickie yeah. Ord was great at that time oh, as well. Dickie Ord, yeah, did really well. Yeah. Another person who bloody back injury, never yes. played again. Like exactly. of exactly. all of all things. Yeah. But no, like um, great great times, and like say the players there at the time, uh, a lot of Sunderland lads, which which helped because they they recognise the passion as well and. If it, like say Audie and, and Mickey, uh, the red and red and white through and through, and constantly still still in touch with the club, and uh, it's it's good to see local lads doing well as well. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, I see course. Mickey now on TV. He speaks ex- extremely well. Uh, he's done really well in the media. So doesn't uh, sound like he's from Castletown anymore. Though, he does doesn't know. He's, he's, <laughs> he's had a slight change of uh, voice. Sounds Irish all of a sudden. Don't know where that's come from. <laughs> <laughs> ah, he's a good lad, Mickey. He's a good lad. Yeah, he's a good lad. From what I've but been no, told, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's a daft lad. He 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 can't drink and he can't. Uh, you know what I mean? A couple of couple of pints yeah. is anybody's, but uh, he's a good lad. <laughs> Martin, really good catching up, mate. Anytime, many times. Absolutely really cracking chatting.